On this podcast, we discuss medical diagnoses and procedures. All of the guests express their own opinions. You should always seek medical advice from a trained and credentialed professional when making decisions about your own health. Welcome to the Sleep Apnea Stories podcast. I'm Emma Cooksey, and I've been coping with sleep apnea since childhood. I didn't know anyone in my life with a sleep disorder, so I decided to start this podcast. I'm here to build community and provide a platform for people with sleep apnea to tell their stories. Together, we can shatter stereotypes and raise awareness. We'll be exploring all sorts of treatment options and lifestyle choices to help you live your best life with sleep apnea. This is Sleep Apnea Stories, and I'm so glad you're here. Hey there, it's Emma Cooksey here and I'm your host. So this week I've been preparing to give a talk at the North American Dental Sleep Medicine Symposium, which is this weekend, um, if you're listening right when the podcast comes out, um, and I'm going to be talking on Friday. And I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be an audience full of dentists who are training in dental sleep medicine. So um, a lot of probably really interesting people who are nerdy about the same stuff as me. (laughs) Um, And I think my dentist who fit my oral appliance is going to be there, which is really nice. And a few other people that I know. So I'm really looking forward to it. If there's any dentists listening who are going to be attending that, um, please look out for me and come and say hi if you listen to the podcast. I love it when people come and say, oh my word, <laughs> I listen to your podcast. So on to today's guest. Today I'm joined by Rachel Naismith, who is living with type 1 narcolepsy. So that's narcolepsy with cataplexy and also sleep apnea. Um, and I think that this was just a really great conversation about advocating for yourself in healthcare settings. Things have improved so much for Rachel since she started working with um, Dr. Anne-Marie Morse, um, who I must have Dr. Morse on on the show at some point, um, but she's doing really great work and everything she does is extremely patient-centered. Um, and you can tell that by the way that Rachel talks about her. So I hope you enjoy this. This is my conversation with Rachel Naismith. So Rachel, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, no problem. It's so nice to meet you. It's yeah. you in the flesh, Emma. Right. It's and lovely to meet you, too. So do you want to just start off with telling us a little bit about where your symptoms started out? Like how old you were when now you realize there were symptoms? And yeah, it's thought that was at the time. For solely the sleep apnea? Oh, for for your hope, we're going to talk about everything that happened. Okay. All right. What happened was I went to the Texas Women's University and I worked with the animal, the the lab rats. Mm -hmm. And I would change, I would do their litter, their water. And in that summer of 2011, it started with the, the excessive daytime sleepiness like literally falling asleep off my stool during lunch and they were worried about me 
and I started doing automatic behavior where I would put in two food bowls instead of a water and a food. And my partners were like, wait a minute, you're ruining the validity. And I'm like, I didn't mean to do it, but it was like automatic behavior. And when that was all that summer from June to August, but uh, when 9-11 happened, that's when the, the sleep paralysis with hypnagogic hallucinations started up almost all night, every night. And it was mm. like, it was like, I could feel the flame. I would have nightmares about um, 9-11. So when that first happened to you, had you ever heard of narcolepsy or any of these symptoms? I knew of sleep paralysis. I knew I was having sleep paralysis all night, every night. And that, that it wasn't just an occasional, it began doing it like it all consuming. But I, I definitely knew, knew about, I was a psychology major. I was going to be a psychologist. So I, I was aware that I was having sleep paralysis. I, I, it was in November. Well, it was beginning in October when I would, would started having cataplexy. I didn't know what in the world it was. It's just whenever I would laugh or get angry, I would feel my knees give out. And, mm -hmm. and it, it was just like the weirdest, most unsettling feeling. It's like, I say, it's like a cataplexy tingle. And it's just the most helpless thing to fall to the ground and feel the pain of falling. And one time I broke my foot in three places from from cataplexy so but... for people listening we've done a number of episodes now with a few people who have sleep apnea and narcolepsy I do. some of them with narcolepsy and some of them with narcolepsy and cataplexy so just to kind of remind people listening the cataplexy part is where with emotion you have muscle weakness that can show yes. up in different ways for different I, people <laughs> so you're falling over a lot which obviously can mean injuries yeah it, it can i am treated when i'm treated it's not it's not like like i i usually don't break bones mm -hmm. no and but, so tell but, us where the sleep apnea part came in so that was happening while you were in college did you actually yeah. get your narcolepsy diagnosis then or when yes. did that happen you did what happened was, is I, I, I was, I was looking it up constantly trying to sleep paralysis. So what could this be? And then, and then I read about cataplexy and I was like, that's what I'm having. But I didn't, I had to disconnect that. I wasn't clicking together to put it together. Oh, that's narcolepsy until my grandma's like, you have all the symptoms of narcolepsy. And, and I looked so was it up. Was there anyone else in your family that had that? How did your grandma know? I feel like uh, awareness I think, is I think, pretty low. I, I think she, she had it, honestly. I do have a cousin with type 1 narcolepsy from, that, that, from the same lineage. And mm -hmm. we always wondered about grandma. But I definitely have both the genes. I have sleep apnea. Everybody has sleep apnea in my family. Yeah. Like my dad, my husband, me. And, and it, it's, it's, it's a really harrowing experience when you're trying to figure out what's wrong with me. Why, why am I broken? Dr. Philip Becker, after I was uh, treated for narcolepsy sometime, he wanted to do like a, see if he could increase the wakefulness. And that's when he decided to test me for sleep apnea, which I did have. Mm -hmm. I have obstructive sleep apnea. But I didn't realize how bad my sleep apnea got until May. I had I got a new sleep doctor. She's great, Doctor Anne Marie Morse. She's uh, amazing. 
I went to the Mayo Clinic to get completely re-diagnosed with narcolepsy. They did a spinal tap and, and my parents like, you know, it's like $13,000, but you have to have that diagnosis in hand. And I, I, I just don't even sleep without Zywave. I just mm-hmm. stare at the ceiling all night going in and out of sleep paralysis unless I have Zywave. Yeah. That's the only so that's way. That's the narcolepsy drug you take at night to stay awake or to yeah. stay, stay asleep, rather. <laughs> yes, yeah, so, to, to consolidate the sleep. It's when when you think about narcolepsy, it's, it's good to think of it like a metronome. Like like a, we no longer have that metronome. There is no rhythm to the sleep cycle. I found out in May at the Mayo Clinic that I didn't just have sleep apnea obstructive. Uh, I had really bad uh, treatment emergent central sleep apnea. Yes. It was caused by the CPAP. Mm-hmm. I had to buy a whole new machine, a BiPAP, and it's, it's done a lot of wonders. And I Great. found out that my oxygen levels were plummeting hugely because I would get that, that central sleep apnea with just the BiPAP alone. Mm-hmm. I did a second overnight sleep study. And, and I was much improved. Mm-hmm. And, so tell, and, take us back to you when you first got your diagnosis. So you were in college, is that yes. right? And so when you first got that diagnosis, it was originally just for narcolepsy and then later the sleep apnea or did, was the sleep yeah. apnea at the same time? Sleep apnea was a bit later. later. And so how did you feel with the that diagnosis of narcolepsy? Did it explain a lot for you? Like, did you feel oh, like it, upset, it, um, that, you know, like you weren't expecting that or what were your feelings about it? No, by the time I was able to get diagnosed with narcolepsy, I went in knowing what I had because of my grandma, I put all the symptoms together. And I said, and when my grandma told me about cataplexy, and I read, if you have cataplexy, you have to have narcolepsy. And that's when it all clicked for me. So I went in to my PCP going, hey, I need to get a sleep study done. There's something up. And it's narcolepsy. I just know it's narcolepsy. And and that's when I found out in that my, my mom's the health insurance excluded all sleeping disorders so that meant so the insurance had an exclusion for all sleep disorders yes in 2001 wow yeah. when i'm when i first met my husband and we started dating of course the narcolepsy came up and he's like i don't know that's a big deal you know i don't know if i can handle that you know i think it's a major problem like hey look i'm everything you ever wanted in a woman I just happened to have narcolepsy. He's like, well, you know what? I have sleep apnea and I use a machine, but you probably don't think that's sexy. That's not sexy. My ex-girlfriend hated the machine. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's, it's breathing is sexy. Breathing yeah. is Getting sexy. oxygen to your brain yeah. is yes, really sexy. definitely. <laughs> and, and being and able he, to function during the day. Yes. And mm-hmm. and when he, he always uses his CPAP and, and, and I'm very proud of him because he, it's important to have a partner that actually cares about you. Here's this like phenomenal guy that's been like, like sleep shamed his entire adult yeah. life yeah. by by significant others that say it's not sexy. Right. Apparently, to me, that signals that they didn't really care about you, or or also just that they 
didn't know anything about what sleep apnea was yeah. right like i think that the, the yeah. level or they didn't care enough to find out you like i think, think the so. level of understanding in the general public is so low that that's it often is. part of it i think so you started treatment for narcolepsy in the first instance yeah. and so you were essentially paying entirely out of pocket then if it wasn't covered when the fall semester ended and it was uh, starting January 1st, that's how I transferred on to my dad's insurance, yes. which is a Blue Cross Blue Shields, which covered sleeping disorders. So once you got that diagnosis with obstructive sleep apnea, did you start on CPAP right away or did you discuss did, other treatments or what happened? I had a lot of trouble being compliant and wearing yeah. the mask. It's hard work to make sure that it stays on your face as much as possible. And it's hard to... work for anyone, Rachel, but people who are dealing with narcolepsy and they're dealing with yeah. hallucinations and sleep paralysis and all these different things, it's astonishing to me when I hear stories about people with narcolepsy and people that have sleep apnea as well having their CPAPs taken away because yes, they have all. such a tough time ad adjusting right right just, that's yeah. why my parent my parents bought the asv out of pocket mm -hmm. but that's the only way that i can safely be on zywave mm -hmm. and without zywave i mean i i just i mean it's like worse than death living every day exhausted yeah and when you have narcolepsy you sleep around and by that i mean you sleep around the house in the car mm -hmm. I mean, like, I mean, like sleep, sleep, like around yeah. the house and, and you don't always have that CPAP with you, but, but it's important to make it a habit. And I know I need to continually do better on it because accountability is key and I'm not a hundred percent where I need to be. I, I've been around like, like 50% compliant. Well, I a think lot. a lot of it as well is oftentimes people don't have a lot of support. So I think sometimes, you know, adapting to CPAP can be really challenging for people. So I tried the dental device, like this is pretty novel back in 2004, 2005. Yeah. But, but it caused a lot of pain. Are you a new or struggling CPAP user? Are you waking up and flinging your CPAP mask across the room in frustration? Maybe you have mask leaks, skin irritation, or wake up with a dry mouth. You might be dealing with uncomfortable trapped gas from swallowing air or hair breakage from your headgear. If any of this sounds familiar, you're not alone, and I wrote a workbook just for you. The six-week CPAP Solutions Workbook is out now and has been designed to give you solutions to all the most common CPAP problems. Visit sleepapneastories.com to order now. That's sleepapneastories.com. I don't know, I don't have narcolepsy, but for my friends who have narcolepsy and sleep apnea, I think it can sometimes be difficult to pick apart the sleepiness yeah. and whether it's a narcolepsy thing or whether it's a sleep apnea thing. So sometimes people will, you know, be doing well with their sleep apnea treatment. And it's like they get a little bit of time during the day where they feel 
like a bit more well rested until some of their narcolepsy symptoms come. So did you ever get to a point where you felt like it was helping you with your daytime sleepiness, like the CPAP or not really? Or do you think not, you had the really treatment emergent the apneas from the beginning? Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure I did. They just yeah. said that there are periods of central sleep apnea in your sleep. And, and it wasn't, I never heard treatment emergence central sleep apnea until Mayo Clinic. So did they put you on an ASB when you went yes. more recently? Okay. Yes. So tell us a little bit about like, I'm not an expert about these things, but I think with ASV, I've heard a lot of people with either mixed, yeah. you know, obstructive and central apneas can yes. be treated with that. So have you yes. done better with that machine? Absolutely. Instead of breathing against me, it feels like it's breathing with me. I don't know the magic mojo that's in that machine, yeah. but I love, I love it. That that's great. That when when you take your wave and when the minute you lay down, you put your mask on and you lay back, and that's getting into that habit and putting down the cell phone is key. The conscientiously say, "This is for me, my health, so I can be the best of me that I can be." Mm -hmm. um, I, tell us about so i need to have dr morse on my podcast i love her and i've met yeah. her a number of times in person dr morse is phenomenal I, I so tell us for, for it, everybody it, listening because i feel like oftentimes i'm telling people you know if you're not getting anywhere with the doctor you're working with like you change your doctor you, you change your doctor you get a yes. second opinion or you keep going yes because i feel like the difference between a really empathetic doctor can make all of the difference in the world. So can you explain a little bit about what was different with Dr. Morris? Was it just <laughs> how she listened to you or? It's not, it's, it's so many things wrapped into one. This is, I met her two years ago on TikTok. It's great. We, we connected on being staunch uh, patient advocates sleep medicine. I mean, it's the stuff we're both real passionate about. She's just so humble. I mean, I, I went there, I mean, I went through a period of not having a sleep doctor from February to June and having untreated narcolepsy in period of time, she agreed to see me on, we made the appointment on TikTok. And, and this woman is, I mean, she's beautiful inside and out. The reason why I love her, she's like, you know, I'm not your doctor. I'm not the boss lady. I am your healthcare partner, not provider. She does things. She's completely has an unconditional positive regard. I, she knew how badly I had suffered trying to get a new sleep doctor mm -hmm. and, and, and agreed to see me and work with my insurance. It was like a dream come true. My dad and I flew up to Scranton where we went. Yeah. Scranton from Texas. And, 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 and my dad's like, Hey, Rachel, I turn around and here's Dr. Morse with her arms spread open mine. She's like, comes over and gives me a mama bear hug. And it felt so good. See, I mean, I hadn't even started my appointment. She just like hugged me. And I, I joked, I held my, like sleep my, my medical record. It's about that thick. Yeah. And I said, I think I have a sleeping problem. And she laughed, you know, she has a great sense of humor. That's why she goes by D-A-M-M, -M, damn good sleep. This is a, a person who, who she, her, her mother suffered with, with a neurological condition called MS. And that's part of what drove Dr. Morse to go into sleep medicine. 
And, and so did you have to go through, did you do more testing there? Did you do another I did all my and all of that? I did all the sleep study. I, I knew I had narcolepsy, but you see what happens with me is that, that with the narcolepsy, the sleep paralysis and all that so severe in me is that if I just lay back, I just go into sleep paralysis almost all night. So it's hard for them to get enough nap tests in to say you're positive. I know I have narcolepsy with cataplexy, but I'm tired of, of constantly having to do these sleep studies. Yes. So they're like, okay, me. here's, here, you know, you go in and you get a spinal tap and, and it's a lot more, it's not as bad as people think it is. At least it wasn't for me. So what did Dr. Morse provide? Like, obviously she put you back on the medications you needed to be yeah. on for the narcolepsy. Mm-hmm. And finally, the, the third week of, of June, I started to get my life back on track. I mean, there was no makeup. There was no, like, it yeah. was just like crying. Like I would say during that period is when I wrote a song called Narcorecme Narcolepsy because it just really it feels that the way it um, affects your mental health, yes. your ability to earn an income. Mm-hmm. I mean, it makes you feel so low about yourself. Yeah. And that's so that was going to be my next question, just because doing this podcast, almost everybody I talk to with whatever sleep disorder, but, you know, a lot of people I talk to obviously have sleep apnea and almost everybody has some sort of mental health impact. So, yes. So that has been a big thing for you as well. The self-esteem, the self-worth are constantly nagging. I'm never, it's like, like, can I be a good enough daughter or wife? Can I, uh, can I go out in the public and not have fall asleep in my bed of rice? I mean, that's happened before. I have sleep attacks in, in my food at restaurants. And, and, and a lot of times people don't understand that you don't, you're not trying to purposefully be sleepy or lazy. You're just yes. trying to go, keep on going in a world that doesn't stop. Mm-hmm. And so you talked a little bit about being on TikTok and putting yourself yeah. out there. So when did that come about that you decided to be on social media and talking about this? Because I think that's so brave and well, really you. helpful to a lot of other people who are dealing with this stuff. Well, I started going online back when MySpace days. On MySpace, we started like a narcolepsy support group. And, and that's where it was led by Michelle Hernandez, mm-hmm. who runs the huge, the biggest narcolepsy support group on Facebook now. But, but we started on MySpace with Open Your Eyes to Narcolepsy. And, and, and in 2009, I uploaded a video on the YouTube of me and Status Cataplecticus. I got a whole lot of like, you know, that's demonic possession. I'm like, no, I'm trying to educate then if it was demonic possession, why do all these medications get rid of the demons? You know, it's not demonic possession. Medical uh, condition. Yeah. Yes. It's, I became sleepy American because I don't want to, I was tired of feeling that, that low jump of self-esteem. Yes. And I'm like, you know, most people don't have to deal with this amount of suffering to get over the hill. Yes. It's like, it's like, it's a the, lot of the, obstacles. The transmission on your car is just completely fried and busted. And yet society still expects you to push your vehicle up the hill all the way. Yeah. I'm a superhero and I was like, mm-hmm. I'm sleepy American and my, my superpower is empathy. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I so think we all need more of that for sure. So tell people where they can find you online. I'm on Facebook. You know, and I was the second generation of Rising Voices of Narcolepsy. Wow. And, yeah, second so generation. So I, I did Rising Voices maybe two years ago. That's awesome. And yeah, there, it was a really great program. I met Julie in person in 2016 in Orlando, Florida the narcolepsy network conference and just what a delightful person i mean what uh, she just takes you under her wings she's like i'm going to show you how to share your story out there when we all work together we go to the white house right when we support each other yeah people listen people it used to be people would laugh and go ha 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 but now they're like what's that like and last night i went out on a date with my husband to we have like uh, the, the real unreal it's like this uh, interactive art exhibit and going in you know i uh, just started talking about my sleep condition to one of the ladies that worked there that was helping showing us where to go and she's like you know i have narcolepsy too i have cataplexy also and i'm like well this is amazing i think the more you put things out there i think especially about the mental health challenges. Like I think I, one of the reasons I wanted to share my story was that I felt so alone and isolated. I I didn't know anybody else that was dealing with anything like this. And once you start talking to people and saying, this is my experience, you realize most people in the same situation are saying, yes, me too. And it just makes you feel so much less alone. So I just want to thank you so much for joining me, Rachel. I really appreciate it. Oh, you too. It's really awesome. I love everything you do about sleep apnea stories. Um, I think that sleep apnea is uh, an overwhelming epidemic, especially in this country. Yes. They do not value sleep enough. People do not realize how much you sacrifice by burning the midnight oil. Yeah. And people with sleep disorders find a doctor who knows about sleep. And yes. if they are not helping you, find another one, I think is what we're exactly. saying. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Dr. Anne-Marie Morris, I would probably give like 10 stars if possible. Yeah. I'm so just, glad that worked out and that things oh, are a little bit more manageable. They, my life has completely changed because of that wonderful lady. Yeah, she, she's wonderful. amazing and, and she's so humble. I went on her podcast on Thursday. That was, was wonderful. Yeah. So for anyone like, listening that hasn't yet found it, there's a wonderful podcast called Sleeping Around. Around. Yes. Is that right? And so Dr. <laughs> Emery Morse and Matthew Matt Allard. And so, yeah, I've listened to a bunch of them. They're really good. <laughs> Listen, thank you so much, Rachel. Oh, no problem. Thank you, Emma. Thanks so much for listening. I love hearing from you. If you'd like to be featured in an upcoming episode of the podcast, please email me at sleepapneastories at gmail.com. That's also the place to get in touch if you just want to say hi or ask a question. Alternatively, I'm over on Instagram. My handle there is sleepapneastories. If you're enjoying the podcast, please subscribe or follow, rate and review wherever you listen. This really helps a wider audience find the episodes and I really appreciate it.